welcome to Slash Report. I'm Prue, and this week I'm joined by a couple of special guests in addition to my partner in crime, MK. Hello. Hi. Um, I've got here Marilyn. Hello. And our extra duper special guest who we scammed here with promise of food. Um, <laughs> it was delicious. Kirby. Hi. Hello. And this week our topic is one that you guys have been giving a shit about for a really long time, so... <laughs> Consider yourselves appeased. We're here to talk about the fourth law, despite the fact that this is only going to get us in trouble, right? Yay. I think we're all agreed on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's see how this goes. <laughs> Lots of it's editing. Gonna it's it's going to go real bad. So, like, if you guys are listening and you're like, is this going to go bad? Yeah. The answer is yes. The answer is yes. The good thing is that Mayor brought me a stress ball in the form of a UNC basketball, which I've been I playing did. for a long time. It's not even a euphemism, guys. Yeah. No, it's all I can see is her giant ball. <laughs> there we go. So the topic is fourth wall. And one of the things that we had discussed previously is that when we're talking about fandom in the fourth wall, the first discussion mm-hmm. that necessarily has to happen is what exactly is the definition of the fourth wall? Right? We need to define the term. Yes. <laughs> so we can all commit it. Well, I think we have to differentiate between like fourth wall on the producer's side and fourth wall on our side. Because those exactly. are two totally different things. Well, and, and also, like, fourth wall between the actual shows and us, and between us on the internet and us in our all, like, in our, not in just our real life, but just in life generally. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I also think that even more stratified, there's fourth wall between, like, fictional closed narratives and right. fourth wall between our RPF yeah. narratives, yeah. which is, like, a completely different ballgame. Two different, yep. two different animals. <laughs> well, I mean, okay, so what's, what's the easiest leg of that to attack? Um, all right, there's the original fourth wall, which is, like, you're watching Murder, She Wrote, or whatever, and she turns and looks at the camera and, like, winks at you. And breaks the fourth wall. Yeah, right. she's like, ha, you like, get like, it. The actual, like, canon's acknowledgement of your existence right. as an audience, and, like, we know that you're watching this. Right, yeah. it's the whole, we know that you know, and you know that we know that you know, et cetera, et cetera. Weirdly, the Friends episode that personified that <laughs> yes. entire phrase. Right. <laughs> Although I think, like, in the context of fandom, like, that's so far beyond what right. we're even considering this point right but like that's but like that's the origin of it and i think that i think that it's sort of important to take a look at it from that standpoint because we we break it in so many ways in terms of how we engage with the media anyway that like you know no it's definitely worth discussion so i mean then if that's the original fourth wall where have we developed in terms of fourth wall let's just stick with the closed right closed canons like Purely fictional narratives. Right. Like, where has the fourth wall developed? <laughs> I was going to say, like, if you're, I think there's a really interesting, like, and it's not a straight line, it's like the batshit crazy. Between, like, Murder, She Wrote, Jessica Fletcher, <laughs> and he's the camera, and let's say, like, that Supernatural episode, <laughs> the world, and Misha Collins on the show, <laughs> playing himself, tweets on the show, and then tweets in real life. And, like, so that you're, if you're following your Twitter feed while you're watching the show, it's like he's really tweeting in the show right. as himself, playing himself in real life. Right. And, like, that's, like, that's a projection where, like, from, like, Jessica Fletcher winking at the camera right. to that, like, a lot of shit has happened. Well, I'll tell you, Supernatural is a sui generis situation when it comes to, like, fucking with the fourth wall. Right. Yes. Like, yeah. Like, if anyone is going to, like, glory hold the fourth wall, like, it's supernatural. Because, like, they also had the episode where, like, they went to the fan con, like, based on the novels, based on them within the context of the closed canon. Right. Um, Right. The whatever with the two dudes who were slashing each other but dressed as Dean and Sam. And you're just like, hey, so that happened. Right. Let me go, like, slash my wrist right now. Right. And then, like, on, on kind of a 
less like Mozzie scale uh, than like what basically all supernatural is around the fourth wall. Um, you have things like, you know, with Castle where he, yeah. there are actual, you know, tie in novels that are yeah. written supposedly by Castle. Okay. And, like you have like that sort of breaking of, we know, we all know that it's fictional, but we're pretending that it's not so yeah. that we can have tie in merch basically. <laughs> Having established that obviously fourth wall has come a long way. What is the current like standard in terms of like for fictional? For fictional, okay. and then we should talk about the right. standard for, well, let's say the RPF stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. discuss the fictional. So what is, like, the current standard for, I feel like acknowledging your fans exist is, like, completely whatever right. at this point, and having in-jokes within the canon of the series about your fans, also completely whatever right. at this point. But at what point do people start getting weirded out? And I think that that threshold is when you start looking into the particular subcultures of your fandoms yeah. and then highlighting those yeah. in the general mass consumption narrative of your story right because like no one get like when supernatural was supernatural is like a really good example for this for obvious reasons right. like no one really cares if supernatural did that arc where like the prophet chuck who for anyone who doesn't watch the show to give you some context there is a character on the show who like during its fourth and fifth and sixth season major biblical apocalypse arcs was a prophet and um had migraines and thought he was like a crazy person and was writing all these like sort of semi-shitty road trip brothers on a road trip killing monsters novels which turned out just to be chronicles of dean and sam's lives so like in the context of that that's very fourth wall breaking mm -hmm. but none of that bothered anybody it was only it when it existed within the narrative of the show and like yeah. yes it was definitely crappy but um at a certain point like if you're still watching that show by then then like you know. well, it's also like sort of like because it was yeah. acknowledging Right. Where that sort of like went off the rails, I think, right. was when they went to the convention. When they started the introducing novel, right? like the fan, they, they brought the fans into the show. Yeah. Well, I, I think that the, like originally that entire arc feels meta. Like it feels, yeah. it feels like supernatural. Meta, not fourth wall. Exactly. Right. And, and I, but I think that there is, I think that it's a, there's a gray zone between the difference between breaking the fourth wall and um you know making a meta comment about yeah. what it is that, that you're creating right. and i think that where where fandom gets upset about how the creators respond is when it feels like they're making fun of what our culture is yeah and when it feels like it's like an in-joke group hug like you know? right and, and where it feels and, and where we're, we're kind of like oh man did you have to focus on like the crazy fourth cousin like yeah like right. yeah like really now like we all get that like we have that that part of what our fandom is and that's great and i love our crazy fourth cousin but like <laughs> yeah we don't want anyone else talking about our crazy fourth cousin well, I, think the, right? I think the particularly problematic element of that and like this goes all the way back in the annals of like slash fandom is that we are collectively the crazy fourth cousin right. like right. Of, of life of <laughs> yeah. like, we're, we're, like we're, it's true like we're the crazy fourth cousin of like fandom you know like can, cons and stuff right. have lived in like in, tier, in terms of like stratified tiers of like banished acceptability and like the Asian right. geek baby to quote <laughs> partisan from leverage like we're still like only a couple of runs of furries in terms of like common cultural knowledge like right. on the internet and like, and, like also acceptance like, yeah exactly <laughs> that's sorry i'm just, just having a, i'm already having peat feels because i need to right. talk about how but i know that we're not gonna later sorry <laughs> we could have a whole episode about peat loves in the fourth wall then, right like i already um, gave you guys a fan episode now. all right <laughs> Um, you guys have seen the Star Trek TNG episode where Lieutenant Barkley is like using the holodeck to basically live out fan fiction RPF of the people around him, right? Oh my <laughs> God. 
No? Okay, there's an episode of TNG that opens with, like, this scene in 10 Forward, like, the bar on the Enterprise, right? Where Lieutenant Barkley is, like, hitting on Diana Troy, or Diana Troy, and she's, like, really into it and just, like, simpering all over him, and then he, like, beats the shit out of Riker. I do remember that. I just don't know. And then all of a sudden, it's, like, Lieutenant Barkley, report to engineering, you're late again. And he's, like, fuck! He's, like, pause! Save program! And you're just like, oh, Barkley. Poor Reg. Uh, Well, I mean, I don't know, to get get back on track from that. Sorry. I don't know, I mean, I I feel like it's still kind of hard to actually, like, pin down what we're even talking about. Yeah, right. Um, Because even if you're talking about, like, a fictional show, I think there's a difference between what happens on the show that reflects, you know, the fandom audience back at it um, which you can do in various ways in terms of, like, you know, acceptability, really embarrassing, um, who knows. And then the actual, outside of that, fandom's engagement with the creators and actors and whoever is involved in it yeah. on the internet. Right. And how, um, you know, in, like, that fourth wall. Because I feel like, yeah. I think when people are talking about the fourth wall, it's become to me more of a second thing. Right. Not so much the first thing anymore. I think so, too. I would agree yeah. with that. I, I feel like people, like, the actual text of the original canon is, like, in a weird way, less problematic on this subject Absolutely. than anything yeah. else. Like, a perfect example of this to go even further back, like, in the terms of, like, the fandom Wayback Machine is, I don't know if anyone who's listening to this or here remembers, there was an old episode of The X-Files called Hollywood AD, mm-hmm. which is right. the second episode that David Duchovny directed, because I'm a nerd, and I don't remember <laughs> things like my phone number, but that, that, that I will have it. I know all the words of that song. Who doesn't? Anyway. Uh, That was was some choice making right there. Darkest um, timeline. Basically, like, the episode was that someone, Gary Shandling and Taylor Leone, hilarious, were going to be making a movie based off of a screenplay based off of, like, Mulder and Scully's shitty, stupid lives. And... That didn't, I don't remember that bothering anybody in the fandom, because even though that was a huge fourth wall break, right, it didn't make any commentary on the people who consumed it. Right, well, and and I think, I think that it's becoming harder, honestly, to to have, um, to have shows, narratives that are set in, in modern day that don't, to some degree or another, acknowledge how media works today. Yeah. Like, like where, where with that, you know, you, all that that is is pointing out what actually happens in terms of how mm-hmm. we, how we engage with media and yeah. like, and what the rise of the geek is. And so it's not, it, it almost feels like you have to have that to some degree or another, or mm-hmm. else your, your story feels not grounded in now. Or yeah. Like it's not, just very disingenuous. Yeah, exactly. Or that element mm-hmm. now. Right. Exactly. But, it, but I do think that like the fourth wall that, you know, that, that always comes up when people are talking about this is just sort of like, well, how is it that you as an audience member engage with, you know, for, for television shows, with showrunners, with, you know, with, with the stars, with the people who are creating, with the writers, yeah. um, and and sort of like how much are we pushing back on, on them, and then how much do we then get to be upset when they're dick to, dicks to us? Because that exactly. happens a lot. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, like, that. I mean, to jump like 14 steps ahead that goes straight to the whole conceit of what the author is get, right? right like if if and you want to interpret the text however you fucking want to like don't expect confirmation or agreement from whoever wrote it like right. if you want to keep up that line of dialogue and have it be like a running through line of like 
your expectation versus their intention, like you, one of you will be disappointed in that exchange. Right. Right. And the only way to guarantee that like there is no friction there is if you guys both ignore one another's existence. Right. Or even if you don't ignore each other's existences that you, that you acknowledge that like you're, you're doing two different things. And so like, you know, I don't think like one of my, my things is, um, you know, I don't, I don't think that, showing showrunners or people who are in shows <laughs> fan works is appropriate but part of that is because i don't think that it has anything to do with them and i yeah. think that if you're trying to obtain Some any sort, sort of, of well legitimizing or like you're kind of the blessing right right, <laughs> right then you're you're, you're kind of you're barking up the wrong tree like you're, yeah. you're you're looking for that from all the wrong places you know and and yeah. so it's just but likewise, I think that if you're a showrunner in this era and you're writing something that especially is like of a genre that tends to have these sorts of fan cultures around them, that like it behooves you to not be a douchebag about it. Like it Sure. You know? I, I think like a classic MK, you can feel free to jump in now because I feel like you're our resident expert on this type yeah. of trollery. Like <laughs> the most current example of this is Teen Wolf, right? In terms of like a fictional canon. And, like, the fandom interacting with the creators in ways that are sometimes really uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah, I always think of it as, okay, there are two sides to this, right? From the fanish experience side, I think that you need to have and maintain cognitive dissonance. You can fully believe that inside fanon, you want the following things to happen, and you hold them as true, and it's going to be that way forever. And at the same time, you have to accept that that's not the way it's going to be in the show. It probably never will be that way, no matter what they tell you. And that's fine. So <laughs> cognitive dissonance is for fans. Wait, are you telling me? Are you telling me that they're not really on a boat? That they're not really <laughs> on a ship? I'm so confused and betrayed. I know you are. I know. I was totally gonna go AU crew on you guys and like write a massive story, but no longer. <laughs> no longer. I've ruined it for everyone. Broken. On the other side. Uh, I don't think it's a surprise to anyone that I work in marketing, right? Like, I think I've been pretty open about that. On the other side, I'm going to say, if you work on a show, your job is to rile the fuck out of the fandom. Get them worked up. And if that means being like, hey, cognitive dissonance, hey, hey, do it. That's your fucking job. Get them where it hurts. Right. (laughs) To troll the fandom. But at the same time, like, you and I have sort of touched on this before, okay? Like... Where specifically with Teen Wolf, like a major part of them poking the fandom is queer baiting, which right. I really dislike. I'm not really sure. I okay. Can you talk about the queer baiting a little? Because I see that a lot of people are mad about it, and I get that. Like, okay, well, it's uh, complicated. Just basically, what it is, it's sort of like, and this is something that was would not really have been like possible on the same level before, like our current media era, is that if you were aware that like fan culture and specifically, I guess, slash fan culture, which are not the same thing. And and Teen Wolf, but Teen Wolf is like only slash <laughs> at this point. So who knows? Maybe I don't know. Um, I don't. I don't watch it. But um, or I've watched all the episodes. I'm not a fanish about it. <laughs> <laughs> Every episode. You've seen more than me. Movie, but I'm not fanish. <laughs> um, which just I don't need to say more. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but like queer baiting is basically where if you are aware that there are a lot of people watching your show who have a vested interest in, like, character X and character Y, like, boning in the Phantom Astral Plane, and, like, a lot of their enjoyment and why they keep watching your show is because they want to see interactions between these two people um, of a hopefully homoerotic nature. Then you can 
sort of take that all the way up to the line of like anything ever happening if you're like aware of this and like keep having these moments in your show and like actors and whatever your showrunners dropping hints about xyz or like you know i have a team of like tom Tumblr, official Tumblr, is all like, yay, this is going to be a really good Steric episode, which you're like, but you know, on the other hand, that like, they're never going to actually get together in canon because that would still be like unacceptable in mainstream media on a certain level. And so what it is is kind of stringing you along um, and then never actually delivering or taking the risk to actually give that to you in the show that you're watching in sexual. Like, See, cancel. okay, if if Styles and Derek were the main characters, I would say that that would be a major problem, but because they are not the main characters, they're, like, the sideshow, they're actually, like, supporting characters, I'm kind of like, it could happen, I don't really care either way. That's such a lie, though, in terms of, like, even the show, at this point, like, even the show can't even sustain that lie, right? Well, like, I mean... It's MTV. It <laughs> doesn't actually mean anything to me, but, like, I, I, I just feel like that's just a really disingenuous argument, like... And, and like, but here's the thing, though. It's, it's also hard to say, like, how much of, like, a showrunner is, like, actually actively being, like, hey, we're gonna throw a bone to Slash fandom today. Like, how much of their actual intention goes goes into this? Like, right. who the hell really knows 100%. But, well, and, and I also, I mean, for kind of going back to what you were saying about how, you know, you, you need to have, um, you know, cognitive, or it was actually about the cognitive dissonance, and, and you know, there's there's what's on the show and then there's what you create and you know, they're, they're never going to line up. And, um, I, I think that like I, where I get uncomfortable, like, like this is my own personal fourth line wall. Um, mm-hmm. cause everyone has different ones for different fandoms. And that's the other thing that's so complicated about talking about the fourth wall. Yes. Yes. Um, where, where I get uncomfortable with it is that, you know, I, I do believe that the author is dead. I do believe that once something, like, once a canon is out there, that I can do whatever the fuck I want to with it um, as both a consumer and, and a creator. But on the other hand, I don't think that I have any fucking right as an audience member to demand one thing or another from what a showrunner is going to do with their own narrative. Like, yeah. I think yeah. I think that that, and, and so that's sort of where... It's a weird entitlement. Yeah, and, and, and I think that with something like Sarah, which is... It, I, I, I think that they are supporting characters in terms of the fact that, at the very least, a romance between the two of them is not the main point of the show. Yeah, yeah I, I think right. Were to happen, right, <laughs> right. No, exactly. I mean, like, if they were to get together in like season five or whatever, it would be like it, it would be one of those weirdo pairings that happens where they're sort of like, well, we don't really know what to do with people yet. <laughs> no, like let's. What would happen if, you know, if Monica and Chandler got together? Like, let's see what I would do with the show. Right. And and I think that that could have been really interesting if we didn't have the culture right now of the demand of it. You know, because at this point, the only way for them to actually engage and have fun with it, I feel like, as creators, is to subvert our desire for it. You know, in the same way that, like, that's what fanfic does. Like, we're subverting the canon by subverting our desire for... Exactly. You know, in in, in the same sort of way that, like, with Buffy, like, back in the day, that, you know, you have Buffy, you have Buffy and and Angel, you have them get together, and it's this glorious thing, and them getting together fucks the entire thing. Right. But, like, I feel like Joss, we didn't, like, being Joss, I think, was actually one of the very first sort of, like... Exactly. Like, it it became a fandom-created verb because it was, was, that was one of the first, like, fan experiences where the creator was like actively messing with you. Right. Right. And and I think that 
was aware of what the audience wanted and then gave it to you and then like twisted it so that you hate it. <laughs> and I think it's, that's the greatest. I'm it, not gonna lie. No, it is. <laughs> and, and, and 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 I understand it from the standpoint. Like, why wouldn't you want to do that? Because like you're saying, also with marketing, that's a great way. Like, as long as you don't actually break the show in order to do that, that's a great way to maintain interest because it. You know, it's not just fulfilling everything that yeah. people say that they want because at that point, well, all right, go from there. where do you go from there? Like, yeah. what's what's the end game of that? And and so, I mean, I, I I'm all about having more queer representation on shows. Like, I want like I want out queer characters, I want out queer plot lines, and that kind of thing. But I also, as a slasher, want slash and so I don't really care if not everyone that I want to be boning is actually going to bone on the show like that's I think that's a different right. pardon that's what fandom's for any like the right. the shows that don't have a big fandom it's usually because everything you need is already in the show right yeah um though I will say finish entitlement is something that always bothers me well, I think Spanish entitlement is sort of like, Spanish entitlement has a tendency to break the fourth wall more than almost anything else, yes. I think. Right. And just, well, and, and that also goes, like, one of my personal, like, least favorite things is when you are, like, shoving your fan works in the creator's Oh, my God. Yeah. Why do people do that? Like, you know what? <laughs> I'm sure some of you are sitting there thinking, like, there's some sort of justification. There isn't. <laughs> don't do it. Right. Just do don't do it. Right. And I mean that in a mean way. I don't mean that in a nice guidance counselor way. It's like, shut it down! What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, no, that's when you evacuate the building. In front of any major actor again. You need to tell the story about the box. <laughs> in case any of you, this is great, and this will be like sort of the perfect representation of what she's talking about. Don't right. do this. Never. So like, once upon, and everybody in Smallville fandom is already oh, feeling God. like they're assholes. I know. At the store, you're like standing back to the wall, being like, "Jesus, take the wheel." Already, I mean, are we ever going to get past this no, happening? No, no. This is our fandom story time. For those of you who don't know, you're this is just like a cultural them. scar that I'm gonna wear <laughs> on my heart for all time. Right? It's like a mark. Um, so, once upon a time, and like, just remember, this is back when Smallville was at its zenith. So this was a somewhat less sophisticated version of fandom. 2003? 2002? Yeah. Not an excuse yeah. by any measure for what happened, but less sophisticated, I think, less adept version of fandom. And that's probably why, like, there wasn't, like, a fucking Greek course of people being <laughs> like, shut down, like, as this was going on. But some poor soul oh, out there created, like, a box of, like, sex toys and supplies and soup like smallville fan fiction and like dirty smallville art and like all this other shit made a nice little package and then she brought it to michael rosenbaum and had a con and gave it to him it's like my worst nightmare it is everybody's worst nightmare okay like that is so like that's like leave the con should like protect her identity. I don't know who this girl is. I don't know who this girl is either, right? Like it's still around. She's lost to the annals of history. <laughs> she's right. lost the annals of history. And if anyone like knows who this is or like wants to tell us during the year for me. Yeah. Just like be like, what the fuck were you thinking to her the next time you see her down at the bar where probably she's still trying to drink away the insipid shame of this exchange. Except I bet you she wasn't embarrassed by this exchange. She <laughs> might be now. It's yeah. Possible. Can, I mean like we can we can sort of hope you know, that there's been enough, like, yeah, 
Yeah, well, but I, but I feel like that's sort of the interesting thing is that, like, you know, everyone does have their different lines, and some people just, like, do not care. And, like, you know what? Awesome for you. Like, no! If, if you don't, if you don't, like, if that's your own personal thing, you don't have any shame about this, you have no problem with giving, like, Michael Rosenbaum, like, a bunch of bills bar. Like, However. For you. If you were a member. Wait, wait. I feel like fandom truly sort of tends to, like, each particular fandom establishes its own right place yeah. where it likes the line to be and then when people cross over it it generally tends to like self-correct those people yes. yeah and like be like you're wrong stop this we're yes. shutting this down yes <laughs> mk what were you saying if you're a member of the masons you don't go out there and be like guys i'm going to tell you all of the secrets of the masons i don't care if you don't have to sign shit to be in fandom you don't get to out the rest of the group and you don't get to ruin their lives yeah I- that's that's another major element of like yeah. I, mean, I, I think like ruining anyone's life is probably like the extreme. No, but like you know what? Like, but, have you ever been unwillingly outed before? Um, as a fan girl? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Doesn't it yes. suck? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have been unwillingly outed twice, and both of my stories. I feel like I've told at least one of these stories before, but the other one involves like my buddy taking me out to dinner and being like having a serious-ass conversation with me that I was just like, do you have cancer? Like, where is this going? And then, like, reaching across the table and taking my hand and being like, I know about your life. <gasps> and I was like, shut it down! Like, you can't shut it down! We can never come back here! Yeah. It's just... Yeah. It's a, it's a weird discussion because it's not like, am I ashamed of it? I don't know because... It's, I love fandom. I love the friends that I've made through fandom. Like, professionally, weirdly speaking, it's been very good for me, fandom. And it's been, like, the, my proving ground in terms of teaching myself how to write and, like, reading lots of interesting things. But, like, do I want to talk about it on a regular basis? No, because I don't want to have to explain myself consistently. Well, I, I think uh, this is actually one of the things that drives me crazy about some of the discussion around um, this kind of a fourth wall, like the fourth wall between your fanish identity and the rest of your life identity. Yes. Um, which is, you're not either in or out. Like, it's yeah. not, it's, you know, I mean, that's true for, for most sort of things of identity like this, but, like, you're really not. Like, it's not a matter of, like, oh, so every single person in my life, if I'm, um, you know, if I'm going to talk about my fanish um, participation, gets to know the exact same level of it. Like, that's just not, that's just not functionally true at all. Where, yeah. like, I'm, I'm someone where there are very, very few people who I know from non-fanish sources who don't know to some degree or another that I'm in fandom, that I write fic, that, you know, I'm obsessed with bands, all that kind of thing. But, like, what they know depends very concretely <laughs> on, like, what my relationship to them is. Like, yeah. my parents know that I go to lots of concerts and I have a ton of friends from the internet. They don't know... They have connected those dots. <laughs> and why would they? Because right. it's not the culture that they're in at all. Yeah. And that's... I'm, I'm imagining, like, the dots making, like, a dick. <laughs> <laughs> general culture but aren't in slash fandom like they know that I write fic they don't want to they don't want to see it they don't want to read it like yeah and, and so it's like you can have different lines like that where you can be more or less open with people and then you have my actual work and they don't know shit and yeah I want to keep it that way in terms of if someone googles my real life name not having my first page match up with anything having to do 
with my LJ name. And like, that's not about me being ashamed of what it is that I do. Like I fucking talk about it. Still not the same, you know? Well, I feel like in a weird way, right? Like I feel like in my head it all, if you boil it down, it reduces to sex, right? Like I have no problem. Like every single person who works with me or has ever interacted with me knows that I spend way too much of my life with the X-Files. Like every single person who's ever known me knows that like, if you give me like a random plot point, I will tell you the season and the episode number of when that happened. And like, I'm not even ashamed of that, right? Like people know that I watch like dumb ghost hunting shows and I cried in the last episode of Ghost Hunters that Grant was on. Don't make that face at me. It was very touching. <laughs> um, no. It was very touching. That was and Mary's that, grumpy cat face. That was beautiful. So like that stuff doesn't bother me. What and like it won't even bother me when people are like, wait, so how much of Sherlock have you watched? I was like, all of it right. many times. So much. Strong feelings, etc. <laughs> that doesn't bother me. What will bother me though is if some if I have to go that extra step and be like, yeah, I've written fan fiction about that and people's penises and vaginas touched or right. whatever. Like that's the part that kind of like goes beyond like it's okay to be interested in something, but it's not okay to be interested right. in something on this level. And, like, even though you can, like, you can be like, this is, like, bullshit, why the hell should we care? Like, yeah. it's awesome. But like, people do care. Yeah. But people do but people care. care. There's, like, yeah. a judgment. And, like, anyone who says, like, well, it doesn't really matter. It's like, I, like, this is mean, but, like, what, what do you do? Like, what's your professional life, right? Because some people can get away with that. Like, it doesn't really matter what you do if you're, like, a, in certain professional capacities. Like, right. It, I'm sure everyone would be really nice about it. It doesn't matter. Like, my job, like, that would not, that would not be good. That would play very badly. And it would reflect incredibly poorly on me going forward. And I can actually see that being a thing where, like, you were like, well, we're going to give her that promotion. But, like, that bitch is a freak. So, no. (laughs) So, what do you say? Like, that's a really hard one to negotiate. Like, that's the whole, like, fan of shame. Like, where's that wall? Where's that line? Well, yeah. And I feel like, again, it's, like, your own personal line in it. And then, like, fandom as a whole it sort of, like, makes that judgment about where they want to draw it, and then individual fandoms within that make their own, like... And individual like, people have to right. appreciate it. Yeah, because yeah, different people have, com- like like you're saying, like, different people have completely different life circumstances in terms of, like, yeah. what, what their own, you know, like, how out they can be, how out they... Because that's the thing is that there's also the, there's the how out can you be and not yeah. have it have a negative impact on you, and then there's just the how out do you want it to be? Because like yeah. if you do want to have a complete like hard line between everything that you do on the internet and everything um, that you do elsewhere, that's legit, and no yeah. one should be able to like bust down that wall for you. I mean, yeah. like like that for me is the part of the argument that I find like really appalling. Like yeah. I find it like completely. I mean, I, I don't think that forcible outings have ever worked in any context. sort of context yeah. that you could do that sort of thing, and I think it's fucking shitty as fuck. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. you were clearly well, tiptoeing around. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a significant subject area right now, which is, like, a difficult one to chat about, but I feel like we, we have to kind of address it. Which, like, who wants to contextualize this? Uh, All right, fuck it, I'll talk about it. Um, <laughs> like, I was like, like, was a total fucking coward, made zero noise over there. <laughs> I made some noise. No, you didn't. Slightly. No, well, because I do also think that this actually segues fairly nicely into a discussion of how RPF yeah, is totally very different, different than fictional fandoms. And 
And like one of the things that you were, you were talking about with, you know, it, it's one thing when you're writing, when you care a lot about a show. And, yeah. um, you know, it, it kind of reminds me of the truth about cats and dogs of, you know, you can love your pets, just don't love your pets. And it's kind of that. Like, that's sort of how mainstream culture feels about us. Like, you yeah. can love your shows, but just don't love your shows. And, and that's valid. And then you get to real life people and that becomes even more, more true and yeah. like more complicated. And like, that's the thing, like, I don't even really, unless I know that there's someone who isn't going to give a fuck about this about me. Like I don't talk about the fact that I write most of what I write because the vast majority of the fic that I've written has been in RPF. And yeah, right. even the fics that have nothing to do with people's dick touching are things that make people uncomfortable. And, like, yeah. I respect that. And if you don't want to read that and you don't want to hear about that, that's totally fine. I'm not going to, like, I'm not going to put, I'm not going to force that on you. Um, but it is. Although, quick caveat before we actually go into that. Not even a caveat. Quick detour. Yeah. Like, a, a really interesting element of this, I think, is that we are socialized to think fan fiction is unacceptable because as young children, that doesn't bother us. Like, when you're a little kid, a creative writing assignment that absolutely everyone had was like make up a story with right, a canon right. that already no, exists. Like, when I was in middle school, me and my sister and our Jane Austen stories. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I used to just sort of be like, I'm gonna go home and read Jane Austen fake. Like they didn't even really call it fake, and I just be like, do 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 do. And I was like 13 years old, like didn't really care. It was just like something I did. When I used to like write shitty X Files fanfic in like a wide world notebook, I would like literally bring it to lunch, and my friends would read it, and like you didn't know that it was wrong and that it was bad until you got older, at which point you're socialized culturally into thinking like oh this is something that losers do right and then or like this is something that is not for public consumption exactly right. yeah right yeah anyway sorry going back to your point i just felt like we should probably have, like mention that it's, no no it, it's, it's totally fine but yeah and, and so then i think that can i also say something though like it's just sort of jumping off that i think that's also sort of interesting um as a context for like when somebody does say send you know Michael Rosenbaum give Michael Rosenbaum sex box there is sort of a feeling when fandom like is horrified by those sorts of things of, like this girl clearly just doesn't know any better yeah you right. know what I mean which is a really interesting attitude of that like you were too young you're too naive you're too whatever you're like to know the rules and like yeah. you should know better that this well, is it's like the, it's like the actions of like a feral or a rogue fan where you're yeah. sort of like wait a minute should like, that going off the reservation yeah, yeah. yeah exactly like, I like this image of a feral fan we're taking her out exactly what's well, fucking fight club right like fan the ultimate like fandom parallel is like yeah. fight club like, right no one talks about fight club right but and that's some people do, and, and that's why we can't have nice things. Right, <laughs> and, and and I think that I think that the, the the issue of the fourth wall and the issue of like how do you how do you engage with various different like RPF fandoms like there there is such a there is such a spectrum even within RPF and so yeah, like very true so kind of again kind of get to like contextualization of all of this like some RPF fandoms such as Bandom the people who are in, who are the actual subjects of that fandom, are fucking well aware yeah. of the culture that surrounds them. And part of it is that, like, a lot of them are of the internet. Like, you yeah, know, they were, like, like, internet fans. They were sort of, like, pure, they came of age and gained popularity in this whole, like, in the soup, in like, the soup of, like, the internet and, like, the early aughts. And, like, you don't need to have, like, build up a local scene and, like, do this because you can put your news on the internet. Right. And, and, and you know, and you talking about how, like, we're only a couple steps up from furries and that immediately made me think of Pete West. But the, the, that's <laughs> true. 
Um, you know, but like that's but that's valid and also relevant to this whole part of the discussion because Pete Wentz is better at the internet than you are. Like, and he, he used to lurk. He not even lurks. Like, we just like hang out on the lo- on like the live journal com. Like, <laughs> the reason why one of the main bands of fandom became a band is because of fucking live journal. Yeah. Like, and and so you have like, I mean, he is basically like old school Panic is basically a fanfic band. Like, they liked him. Like, they legit. started a band. They reached out to him on the internet, and they found a reason on the internet, and right. like, he signed them. He didn't in her life. He signed. Right. And then like boom. <laughs> and that and that like that's that's the origin story of one of and, and so then you have and like and here's the thing, because of that, there's almost a weird way in which like if Pete wins, if I if someone were to be like, Hey Pete, I wrote the story about like you and Patrick having sex, I just sort of be like, Whatever. Well, I don't care. <laughs> well, like Pete knows, Pete doesn't give a shit. Like Pete's kind of like our bro. Like <laughs> Right. Pete writes his own fucking fanfic like, about. Gabe supporter from Cover Starship wrote fanfic where, like, he right. was president and, like, you know, this other dude was, like, his, like, consorty, like... Right. Well, and let's, and let's like, be honest. honest. Every single lyric Pete Wentz has ever written is basically a song fic about Patrick. Yeah. Like, there's just no getting around any of that. But, but even within that sort of thing... Part of why it doesn't bother, I mean, obviously, it's still not cool. Like, I, I, it's still not, like, yeah. a socially acceptable acceptable thing to do in fandom to do that. Right. But part of why we are more okay with it is because of things like the fact that the best sort of reaction or the best sort of comment that these dudes make when people ask them about fanfic, because people ask them about fanfic. <laughs> um, is, and what they say is, I don't read it, you know, yeah, because it's not for me. And they actually understand what the purpose of fanfic, in my opinion, should be, which is that it's for the fans. It's not for them. And um, it's not for you, right? It's not exactly. For you. It doesn't mean it doesn't relate to you, right? But, like it's not. It's not actually. About, it's, it's not about you. It's not for you. And but the flip side of all of this, though, is that there's there's a certain amount of, you know, oh well, they shouldn't acknowledge us, and they shouldn't acknowledge the fact that this fan culture exists. And I don't think that's there either like I think yeah. that if you're writing fanfic that's about real life people um you have to accept the fact that if they want to go and find it they have a right to do so like you can't actually say this is you know this is them not respecting us like I, I think that's bullshit and and they clearly you know they have pushed up against us with that like people in Bandom, like the actual members of Bandom have commented on stories that are about them. You know, they have Yeah. Like at the time Empire Sana think about them. Or Vicky yeah. T. Or Vicky T. I mean, yeah. like like there are so many different like stories of that. And part of it is because it is it's it's a culture that's like of that it's a culture that's of us, basically. And it's and and I think that that's very different. So you have that. I think Bandom is sort of like on one side of the extreme, though. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And then on the other side of that, extreme, where like everyone knows, no one really cares. We'll be like, right. Know. We don't. We don't like it when they're asked about fanfic, just because it's embarrassing, and because like the thing that that kills me as an MCR fan with this right. occasionally is that certain magazines will ask them questions about fic because they are making fun of the band through their fans, basically, like because they're the sort of you these crazy fan culture. Right. Because because you own the sort of fans that like you in this way, right? And, that means you don't have music cred, right? Sort of the implications, also. And part of that is because they're also like the bands that are in band, and one of one of the things about them is the fact that they're bands that girls like, and so there's there's a certain degree of 
uh, let shit on things that girls like generally. And this is one of the things that girls do about bands because they're not actually serious about the music and blah, blah, blah. Um, Part of a larger shaking culture. <laughs> right. So you have you have that one side of like RPF fandom. And all the way. way. All the way on the other side. Um, and then I would say you probably have like after me. Yeah. Yeah. Mostly pay. And like uh, Supernatural is also like a show that kind of is like more the J2. J2. Because like, again, like, yeah. do I, if I, let me say like, if I would give like Misha Collins to someone and be like, hey Misha, I wrote a story about you. Like, would not give you shit. By, 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 like Jared and Jensen. I'd be like, yeah, whatever. Like, right. You know, Misha, Misha probably has thought like more terrible things before breakfast than like you can come up with in your entire life. Whatever. Like, like, no yeah. like anyone who's seen the bloopers from these seasons that like yeah. Misha Collins is on yeah. that show, like. The moment that is crystallized in my mind is where he's like standing there and he just looks at the camera and he's like, by the way, I just want you to know that someone has their feet in my testicles right, right. now. It's like, yeah. And I don't know. At that point, like, you know, who cares? Misha yes. is definitely like the honey badger of <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. like, where just no. Um, yeah, and like, but again, I feel like there's some there's some weird way in which like I I don't I don't I don't really have a problem with people like bringing up fan fiction to Misha Collins. No, like right. I, I don't care. Like right. you know, and I don't Misha doesn't care. Like because because his reactions about it have never been anything that sort of tripped my wire of like you're making fun of this or judging. There's no shame just involved like, in his reaction. Sure. He's right. just like cool, whatever. Right. He's too weird. Right. Well, and, and, and like the same thing is sort of true with like Pete Wentzford. Like when he refers to the fact that you know when when Patrick comes on stage, he has to what does he do with his wings? And he's literally like writing fan like wing fic for the fandom <laughs> with his stage banner. And you're kind of like at that point like, all right, okay, like fine, we're whatever. not we're not gonna be more modesty than you are yourself, right? Like how it is that you're about like, this? This is really embarrassing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and then and, and and part of it though again is that the culture like. The, like worse upset of the culture that's that's you know fans of those bands or of that show or of that whatever um but we're a fairly large and vocal and well known within those subcultures and then on the um all the way on the other side you have generally sports rpf but you specifically have hockey rpf which is because it's blowing the fuck up right now yeah, it's weird because I feel like it's not. It's oh god, how do I fucking talk about this? <laughs> the thing with hockey RPF is it's been around like forever, right? Like I was reading this shit. Actually, I feel like well, you could probably speak to this because I feel like you were probably reading hockey RPF about the Leafs in like 2003 right. before it was cool. Yeah, like, I actually was. <laughs> but like, what is your perspective on this before Ann and I start talking about it? Okay, so when I was in high school, fandom was like. You could kind of talk about it because I went to an ultra nerd school, but there was a whole other level that was the fucking hockey RPF, right? Like, you did not talk about that shit because everybody came to school on game day wearing their fucking Darcy Tucker jersey. Like, it was serious. (laughs) Serious business. Oh, Canada. (laughs) Um. So, I mean, my friend, Nyo, we were in yearbook class together, and she was like, hey. Do you be outing her with her name? No, her name is Nyo. Should you be saying her name oh, on this podcast? that's her internet name. It's not her real name. Okay, good. Okay. So Nyo was like, hey, <laughs> are you doing shit right now? Are you working? And I was like, no. She was like, here, read this. It's like 300,000 words of Red Wings slash. And I was like, read what? Okay, sure. <laughs> that's what right. we did for the rest of the year, right? Like, this was like 2001. Hockey RPF all day, every day, at school, on the school computers, but in secret, because you don't talk about it. Because hockey culture was such a big part of your actual, like, other culture that the hockey RPF part had to be secret and safe. Like, I I almost feel like (laughs) you 
when Obama first got elected and all of a sudden there was like Obama fan fiction on the internet? And people were like, that's still not cool. Right. And they were like, that's weird. That's crossing the line. That's what it was like. You were like, we don't talk about it because there's being a hockey fan. Then there's like the dark depths where people are just puck bunnies, which is like, really, that's what you're going to do with your life. And then there's like the extra deep dark where you were like (laughs) in hockey RPF. And that was bad. Right. And, and to be fair, like, I feel like that, that was literally over a decade ago. Right. But there's a lot of ways in which that context has not changed that much over 10 years. Right. Like, hockey is just, like, it's part of the daily conversation where I'm from, right? Like, I know I'm fucking Canadian, but that's what everybody in this country talks about. If somebody tries to mug you, you could probably be like, oh, man, did you see the Leafs suck last night? And it would derail the whole thing. Yeah. Well, right. <laughs> Take it back, bro. If you bet on the Leafs, I'm so sorry. You need this money more than me. Right. Like, <laughs> and they're not even that bad this year, but anyway. Yeah, yeah um, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it would still work. Um. Well, yeah, and that actually sort of reminds me of someone who, like, um, one of one of the Canadians that I know, uh, will read some hockey RPF, but cannot read anything having to do with Sidney Crosby just because, and, and not to equate him to Obama, but in a certain sort of way <laughs> where like culturally the place that like he has in her brain is equivalent where like she can't, she can't cross over that line. And like, she's a total RPF person. Like she has no issue with this, with like many, many other people, but like that one person because of the greater cultural context it doesn't work for her. and Well, that's um, like I could never, even if, like, if if Wayne Gretzky were young and popular right now, I could not right. read anything about him because he's the great one. Right. right. Like, that's like a really religious people reading, <laughs> like, Bible slash. No, don't do it. Right. 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 Yeah, well, and I, I mean, because I feel like the fundamental difference, though, the reason why I feel like hockey RPF occupies a very strange space in fandom right now is that whereas if you're talking about almost any other, like, fandom that fandom likes you like fan slash fan culture exists as a subset of a fan culture that is sort of like we're 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 different we're like definitely like what two steps above furries yep, on like right. the ladder crazy but cousin but we're still on the ladder we right? still want to continue right we're on the ladder and like so even though like we clearly do things that like other people are just not going to like there's still some sort of cultural understanding of fandom's place in there whereas hockey rpf like, there is no such correlation between large mainstream sports culture and hockey sports culture right. and, like, slash fandom. Right. Like, so, so like, if, if, if sort of mainstream sports <laughs> fandom is, like, a ladder up the side of a castle, we're the fucking rope that we threw up with, like, the little, you know, latch grappling over hook. the yeah. grappling hook, and we're just, like, basically, like, trying, like, arm over arm our way up that fucker, and... <laughs> over then, there. Exactly. But that's the thing, is that, like, it, it's just, it's not even on the same, like, I don't even know that we're trying to, like, you know, we're not trying the to reach the same place. Exactly. Yeah, right. And, um... It's <laughs> a great metaphor. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And, and so, um... And, and I think that that's, I think that's a tricky thing to necessarily understand, even if you have um, a good, like, working grasp of, of how RPF generally works um, in terms of the, you know, there's even more of a, you know, we know that you know, and you know that we know, and we both just sort of try mm-hmm. not to talk about it. And with, with hockey and with any sort of sports RPF fans, because it's certainly not the only one, right. um, it's the one that's, like, taken off right now. Right. Um, but I, I think that there's two things, right? There's like sports 
in general is kind of like, even though this is terrible and wrong, it's like men's territory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Like that's, when I watch a hockey game, the ads are for men. And culture and mostly female dominated fan culture, sort of like trying to occupy the same space. Right. And that's where like a lot of the friction comes from. There's that. Uh, and there's also like, even people I know who are like, you know, in fandom, like maybe not super deep in fandom, but pretty deep in fandom. And who are like, yeah, RPF, whatever, are like, <laughs> hockey RPF. What, do people write stories about when their butts touch on the ice? And I'm like, right. Great, yeah. thanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. And I, I feel like and that also sort of in terms of, like, talking about the fourth wall, in terms of hockey RPF fandoms, it means that because you are existing in this completely different, like, paradigm, your the, the hockey fandom's sort of determination of what its fourth wall is and how it, like, negotiates that and how it, like, you know, corrects it and is sort of has a different beast. And then when you break it, there are different consequences. Right. Well, like, okay, so, like, for, for me personally, like, I... I I never, ever, ever want this to happen in any context whatsoever. But if someone were ever out me to, like, one of the actual people that I write about in, like, MCR fans. So if like, someone were to, like, if I were, like, at, like worst case scenario, if I were, like, at a meet and greet and someone, like, pointed at me while talking to Frank and was like, she wrote a fic about you boning Gerard, I would be mortified and terrified and would want to die. But there, like, the one sort of, like, redeeming feature of that entire experience for me would be that he would understand at least a little bit what the context was and would understand, I think, that... I didn't want that to happen, you know, like, like that this was something that was terrible that was happening to me kind of thing. (laughs) Whereas if I were to write in hockey RPF and wrote, you know, I don't know. Did you know? Right. Or like, or Martin Brodeur, like, I don't know. Cold John Avery. (laughs) Shut up, you. Um, (laughs) You you were the worst person in the world. I hate you. I don't even know what the context of that is, but it's true. (laughs) Basically, it's, yeah, yeah. It's the flyers suck. Let's move on. <laughs> the flyers do suck. All you need to know. Okay, so anyway, but like if I were to if I were to write a story about one of my favorite hockey players and someone were to out me to that hockey player as having written um, explicit pornography like, about him. Personal fourth wall. <laughs> I, I would literally, like, I wouldn't know what to do because he would not know what to do. And, like, and I think that, and, and like, and the culture that he is in would not know what to do yeah. with that. And that would actually make a difference for me because I, I feel like there's, a, and this is actually one of the other things about RPF and the reason why it's different than with, with fictional fandoms which is that there is actually an understood way of how it is <laughs> that that fans are supposed to actually engage with and interact with the yeah. people that we're fanning like we go to their concerts we go to their games we you know like we, we have like an actual one-on-one sort of relationship that there is no fourth wall like when we're staring up at the people who are singing us songs like right. they are singing to us as themselves and it's not like I went to a midnight screening of your movie. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, and like, we are, we are fans of them as themselves. And I think that, and so, you know, there's already a hero worship. There's already a creepiness that's just sort of inherent to the way that like, especially sports stars are revered in this culture. And when you take that one step further and are like, I'm writing butt sex about you and one of your, you know, teammates or you and your arch rival on a team who's a terrible human being, <laughs> For example, um, it's it's really it's it's different. Like it, it it has a different 
context. And I, and think, I think also the other important key element well, of that is, is there actually is no context in sports culture for this. Right. Like, yeah, there is obviously. no way to make it make sense without being like, I am like internet pornography. Right. Like, I mean, like I explained to one of my hockey bros um, that about hockey RPF existing as a thing. And he had a context for it literally only because he's known about me having a fandom context for six or seven years. Yeah. And without having that sort of lead in to be like, hey, bro, this is this thing that, that now exists about this fandom too, he would literally have been like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. Well, and, like, and he's a great dude. Like, it's not anything against him. It's yeah, just... No, completely. But I think the other part that sort of hails back to what you were saying previously is that, like, instead of the fandom reaction to that, where it's like, we know it exists, we're not reading it, it's not for us. Right. The reactions to that would be very different. Right. In, yeah. Like, in and, hockey RPS. Right. 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 And, and, like, also, I feel like there's also a sort of difference in that, you know, mainstream sports culture does trend more homophobic than, like, <laughs> dudes in emo bands who wear, you know, quote-unquote girl jeans. Like, right. you know. <laughs> yeah. Like, out with each other sometimes. Like, meh. As an right. example, the, I think it was the right. GM of the Leafs was, like, yeah, there are loads of gay professional hockey players, but obviously they're not out of the closet because it could hurt their career, which is stupid, but that's the way it is. Right. Well, and and you you have a feeling of that, that, like, you know, if you go, if you say if one of your teams is playing the Flyers and, and you know, there are certain chants that come up around all of the different teams, but, like... And the thing is that, like, not all of them are homophobic chants. Not all of them are misogynistic and, and sexist. But a lot of them fucking are. And, like, I'm not that saying... stupid which you're swimming. Right. And I'm not saying that all hockey fans are sexist, you know, homophobic, racist douchebags. Because they're not. But it's a very different cultural setting. And no, it's, completely, it's a completely different context. Like, and even worse than that, right, is that it's very... Like, in order to access this... You have to, for now, on some level, play by the rules, right? Like, right. Because otherwise, like, there's no... So, I'm, I'm not in hockey, but, like, I'm very into basketball and I'm very into baseball. And, like, when you go to those games, when you talk about these sports with other people who are really invested in those sports, like, you end up having a conversation that's just, like, so dissonant mm -hmm. to me in the context of any other part of my life. Like, could you imagine me letting almost anybody, anybody in a conversation be like, oh, yeah, that asshole plays with your girl, and, like, letting that slide? No, but that shit goes, like, in these particular sports because that's part of the dialogue, for better or worse, right. at the moment. Like, these are the sort of... Those are the terms that you're supposed to listen with and expressing yourself. Exactly. Right. Right. You're like, oh, that guy... Right. Like, you know, that's really awful. <laughs> right. You know, and you shouldn't be saying it anyway, but, like, in a sports context, you're like, well, I know what that means. Like, right. Well, like, it doesn't mean, but, and it does, but. And it's wrong, and it's like, you leave that, and you're right. like, oh, why the fuck do I help perpetuate this? Right. But at the same time, it's like, what do you, like, how are, there's no other way of expressing yourself. Right. And if you want to start that conversation, right, if you want to start that conversation, you're going to kill the conversation, right? right? Like, if in the middle of something, it's like, I really don't like it when you use female in pejorative senses like this. It's right. like dead. Oh, you're a girl. You're not really allowed to be here anymore. You should get out of the right. sport. Right. And, like, and that's, I feel like that's also sort of the thing with, like, hockey RPF is there is sort of this, like, self-consciousness about, like, you know, the whole punk buddy thing that you were talking about earlier, MK, of, like, you aren't enough of a fan. Right. Yeah. Which is sort of something that, like, plague, has plagued fandom, like, you know, right. fandom in, like, you know, our sense for... Everywhere, yeah. in, like, every context, but in hockey, it's extremely, it's way more striking. Yeah. It's and, like, like, and there is actually, and it's not even, like, people will, like, sort of secretly think that you're not that much of a fan because you're really just in it for, like, the dudes fucking or, like, whatever. 
Um, you don't really care about the music. You don't really care about like this show or whatever. You're just right. Right. Work, right. Like, which is not a bad thing, but right. you know, there's a judgment there. But in in like sports, RPF, right? It, it does. People will actually say that to you, especially because if you're if you're a girl who's in sports culture generally, you're already, fighting you're already fucking up, like fighting an uphill battle to begin with. Like yeah, I don't, I don't like being da- like having like your opinions be considered valid and like anything you have to say. About I don't even know how many times I have been at a sports bar watching a playoff game or like there very clearly to watch the game that I'm there for, and I've had Dufros like fucking like question my qualifications for caring basically and like and and so you you then add to that the sort of i'm operating on a vagina yeah. <laughs> right exactly <laughs> right unless my penis in the car yeah exactly, exactly. right and and so you know you, you have all of that and i think that one of the other reasons why um like the sports culture is you know like beyond like the greater cultural context of like why sports culture is so homophobic and why i think the concept of hockey rpf would be a bit of a bombshell to like go off in the middle of like well here's the thing it is, it, is, like, it is interestingly like transgressive more right. so and like everyone right. like you know there's the whole narrative of fandom is like a transgressive like you know, force and like whatever else you can say like the way that people try to be like fandom is like changing things because it's true you know it's doing this um in, in sports <laughs> you know Yassi. but like in, in sports culture that actually it is still remains extremely transgressive in right. a way that like fandom like as a whole has not been for a while well and, yeah. and i think part of the reason why that is is that one of the reasons why do bros can get away with Spending all of their time talking about bros stats and like all right. of the different, like their bodies, I'm giant and, like, and they're like, like watch every game, and I'm gonna basically like behave in the same right. way that like, and know. I'm gonna stare at their bodies, and I'm gonna know exactly what's going on with every single one of their injuries, and I'm gonna right. care a lot about everything that has to do with their physique, is because it's not in a sexual context, right. and like you know, in the same way that you know, like I, I get where hockey RPF comes from from the standpoint of like these bros love each other a lot like they're like they're in sort of like the cultural um you know like it's found family they're their team they're also like they're really affectionate with each other because it's it's the whole like you know ultra male ultra segregated kind of society like it's the same thing as like military like um culture in terms of of that kind of thing where they can do it because everyone knows what the rules are and so as soon as you're like wait a minute but that's actually really gay i I think this actually signifies something completely different Right. right and as soon as you do that it it does actually ask for the entire situation to be different than what it probably is. And like, that's great. But from a fourth wall standpoint, that's really threatening. And right. that's really, which is dangerous. like, you know, and like when that whole thing happened with the hockey RPF article on the daily dot, like, I think that's sort of why, well, I'm we sure. need to pause. Someone needs to explain this. Okay. This um, because I, in case like you've been living under a rock. It's right. So like Aja was going to write Aja Rana or, um, What's her bookshop? Bookshop. She um, was going to write an article for the Daily Dot about hockey fandom, and then sort of solicited people to like talk to her about it. And um, as soon, basically, as anyone got wind of the fact that there was going to be this major internet um, publication writing about hockey RPF, hockey RPF like freaked out, locked down like half of its fic, um, and then was sort of like, "We don't want you writing about us." And ultimately, I just decided not to write the article. And, you know, the Daily Dot occupies a really weird place where it kind of tries to straddle the fourth wall of, like, we're going to report about fandom things, but our audience is sort of ostensibly a mainstream internet audience. 
so like it has to kind of do two things at once and like its success and various like you know and various things has been you know not always the greatest that's all i will say in terms of the hockey rpf thing i am like reasonably certain that like the extreme reaction of hockey fandom was probably a surprise because right but if you understand the culture in which that fandom yeah. exists it would not it makes complete perfect, perfect sense. sense like because they are kind of in a very like tenuous unstable place where they are actually like the reaction of like mainstream fan culture to them if they were exposed would not be positive and i think that's that's just, and you can say that like with almost complete certainty yes if you've spent any amount of time <laughs> reading any hockey articles on any site that is not fanish right on the entire internet right and like just when you think it's fine like the rangers will post an article here's how to be a hockey fan if you're a girl right which which is just as awful as you would could imagine from the title right, right. Like, whatever you think that article is about it was probably worse right like it's right. No, the it's same way that prue was saying that like being fanishly outed could hurt her career having right. fandom of hockey be outed could hurt the careers of the players which is ridiculous but it's not like I don't necessarily like, I know feel like that. I, I don't think that I, I doubt it because well, the power differential is so like extremely weird. No, because it different. changes no, the conversation. Like, like, there would be like a ramification, like whether or not we would see it as a whole different issue. But like, can you imagine like being in the locker room like after that shitstorm blew out? Like, well, how would you like to be fucking Sidney Crosby the day after all of your teammates found out about this? Right? Like, and that understandably would generate a lot of goddamn resentment because I don't think that he has the toolbox needed, like to handle you know, that with like to handle that with any sort of grace or dignity or intellectual like <laughs> in, like that guy's been hit in the face with how many pucks over his life, like. Nobody in hockey, like, do you know what I mean? Like, nobody has the tools necessary to negotiate this. They're not prepared. And I think that that's just going to be, like, a self-perpetuating, like, shitstorm. Because, like, as soon as the players know about it, they're not going to be, like, weirdly flattered the way that some people will be like, oh, well, I guess you're really into me. They're going to be like, why the fuck are you doing this? I hate you. Well, like, and and I think, I mean, like, there are, like, there are examples of bros in hockey who have found, like, primers and such about them. Which, again, like, falls within the same purview that like I think um with with you know Ben and, and other music RPFs where if you put it out there you have to know that it's not locked that there's a potential consequence. Yeah. Right. Um and you know and like the Tylers have their own sort of understanding of how they work in terms of like what they're presenting. Um and so I think that it does depend on which dudes it is and I think that it depends on on how like you know, I, I don't actually know how much an article on the Daily Dot about hockey RPF would have ended up getting back. Well, I think that there were particular circumstances for that, just to give some well, context yeah, to this yeah. as well. It like, was, it was during the lockout. Absolutely. And if, and Mary and I are, like, intimately aware can of I, the can way I tell you, though, that, like, even though as someone who has professional experience in sports journalism, I don't necessarily think that it, it would have been picked up by as many... Like it would have been picked up by blogs. I don't like, think it would have hit like the major. It would have hit Deadspin. Yeah, that is the problem. Yes, like right. nobody cares about it. It's not going to hit SI. Right. It's not going to hit SD yeah. Nation. It's going to hit Deadspin. Right, and Deadspin is the worst place for anything sports to hit. Right, well, because I mean, because frankly, what more could Deadspin want? Seriously, that was like that right. was like that was like post Delario, but like he's still there enough that like holy shitacular balls. Well, like, especially because the thing is that like what more could Deadspin fucking want than to find out that people are writing gay sex about Patrick Kane? I'm sorry, right? But yeah, like, I literally would be like, it's Christmas. Like, 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 right. like, that would be like an entire like series of articles 
starting with like the part where he like choked a lady in a frat party, like right. going and, on like, to like everything else. And it's not and the then same thing like, by like magical gay sex, right? Like, being less and then you have like any art that like happy right. RPS found, like it would not be a pretty, it would not be a pretty fallout. Right. It would not be intellectually curious. It would be cruel. Right. And it would be. And, and you know, and like God knows that there is no player that I would be less like unhappy about seeing <laughs> Deadspin fucking make a mockery of than Patrick Kane over this bullshit. But the thing is that I don't actually give a shit about him. I don't actually give a shit about that aspect of it. I give a shit about the collateral damage that would yeah, be happening to the fandom. The fandom. And um, into fandom as as a whole because of what would happen within that one fandom. Exactly. And like the thing about the fourth wall is that when you break it, there are consequences, and they are very specific to each particular fandom. And like in hockey fandom, obviously we don't really know what they would be, but like, well, I'm gonna go full douche here, back to like my old media law classes, and say like, do you know what would happen? This would have a chilling effect, right, on fandom, yeah. and it already has yeah. to some extent. Like the lockdown that hockey fandom experienced is the chilling effect. Now, in a weird way, like, I 100% believe that, like, put it out there, people have the right to write about it and to examine it, and that's just a consequence that you have to deal with. But then, at the same time, like, you saw how that shook out, you know? Like, right. there's a reason that these sorts of things, like, don't necessarily flourish under scrutiny. Right. Right. And I think, I, I think the sort of, sort of, it always is just sort of interesting to me in terms of the larger question of the, the fourth wall and how we're mostly talking about it is that is the idea that like you could put this on the internet so that like it's publicly searchable that like anyone can find it but the difference is is like there's a certain understanding when you do that that only people who care about it are searching it out are looking for it to begin with right like the thing with like the fourth wall argument and like the erosion of the fourth wall over time as fandom has entered into more of like a mainstream cultural space and people become more familiar with it is that what you're looking forward to is like if fanfic is just part of like a thing that everyone does then like you no longer have the sort of like faux certainty that like your community is sort of self like protecting yeah or regulating regulating. because anyone could look for it and it's out there but like anyone could look for it now which is or would even think to look for it but but that's actually that's sort of like that's the extreme argument that like you know the fourth wall is gone already Sort of, but 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 I actually think that that's sort of interesting because that that counters one of the other arguments about how oh we should be talking about fandom and we should be talking about it openly and, and publishing these articles in non-fanish spaces and and doing all of these like sort of almost recruitment drives, which is that like the the, the opposite of that is the fact that. If you want to find fandom at this point, it is really fucking easy. And, like, there, like it, it requires basically no skill and, like, no introduction. There's no handshake. You know what I mean? Like, all, like... There's no hanky code anymore. Right, exactly. Like, and, and I think that... There's no, there's no, like, knock three times, say the password, right. and, like, we'll let you in. And I, think that, and I think that that's great because I think that that still means that you're self-selecting. That, like, you're... You're saying this is something that I want to be searching out, and if you're just searching it out for the lols and to like make fun of stupid girls on the internet, you will actually get bored of it and do something else with 4chan. Like there, there's going, you know what I mean? Like there's only so long that you're actually going to give a shit about that. And um, the people who stay or you know, are the people who are either really fucked up or um, are are actually interested in what like the culture has to offer, you know? Right. And um, I feel like I feel like the entire concept of like the fanish advocacy part is like an increasingly difficult and hard to sort of like 
traverse topic because on the one hand, like full disclosure like i support otw like i'm a member of it yeah. like i contributed in their member drive whatever and I, i'm not gonna lie like 98 percent of my support for organization for transformative works is because i am a huge fan of ao3 but not necessarily the whole of part about public their, their mission their, yeah. their mission beyond but i don't necessarily know that i'm like 100 percent committed but i love the idea that a part of their entire mission statement is to create like a fanishly permanent space right? right and that even seems in a weird way to be counterintuitive to like the rest of what they're trying to do with the in a weird way trying to legitimize fandom by creating like scarlet or i have no opinion on that either way that's fine if you want to participate or whatever like i'm probably not ever going to do that stuff so if you guys send me surveys and stuff i'm really sorry i'm probably not going to do it so save your emails um but at the same time i also think that like necessarily people have to sort of have like a come to Jesus moment with yourself about this sort of thing. And it's just like one of the major issues with what is happening right now in terms well, of like, like the whole thing of like the fandom, the ch- difference between the old argument of the fourth wall is something that like the powers of being creators push on. Yeah. Toward fandom. And, and now we're pushing back pushing with it. That. And like, yeah. what does that mean? Where is it going? Like who, who are these people? This? Who are these people who are supposedly part of fandom who are like, like opening the, the gates? Right. Yes. Yeah. Like, and I don't want you to do that. Like right. me personally, I don't want you to do that. Right. That's me personally. Like you can't make the value judgment. I can't community. But yeah, like, I don't. Right. I'm not like yeah. God. I'm like not. Well, the, but, but 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 I think but but I think though that in the same way that you can't make a value judgment for all of fandom because you can't speak for all of fandom. They can't make a value judgment for all of fandom. And so when when fandom pushes back and when fandom says, we don't like what the fuck you're writing about us, and when, like, One Direction fandom freaks out because what's Mm -hmm. written over the summer, and then Hockey RPF freaks out over what's written about them, and then fandom freaks out over what's written about them, that's not super sensitive people who can't deal with their fandom being public knowledge. Like, One Direction fandom... Fucking Nick Grimshaw. Like, that's all I'm going to say in terms of, like, how open that fandom already is to so the fact that the fourth wall is completely fucking dead. Yeah. We've already discussed how that we went talk, fandom. We didn't really talk about that as an RPF fandom, but, like, One Direction is also, like, it's basically, like, a fandom that's 50% people who are the kind of people who would send a sex box to Michael Rosenbaum. Right. <laughs> yeah, but the fandom is also experiencing the chilling effect. The younger, the younger they're, like... They're, well, and it's yeah. not just that they're experiencing the yeah. chilling effect within the actual fandom itself. The, because the band has the reacted. actual band, like, they, they are... their behavior. They are actually changing the canon based on what <laughs> it is that they are doing as a fandom. Yeah. And... And in ways that are actually running counter to what most of the fandom actually wants. And, like, this is sort of the, like, the, you know, the power and also, like, right, and, like, kind of, like, the Frankenstein's monster of fandom in terms of, like, this is what you've created. It's basically, like, it's the Joss Whedon effect. We'll give you what you want, but it will actually end terribly. (laughs) Right, exactly. And and so it's one of those, and, and, and that's obviously, like, one fandom, and you can't control, like, one fandom. Like, I'm not saying that there should be some sort of, like, code of ethics or anything like that in terms of how you have to behave but the I, I think that there's a reason for why all of these discussions are happening at the same time that like tumblr is a main medium and and twitter is a main medium and there's less sort of option about whether or not everything is public or nothing is public yeah and and i think that there's like kind of an either or feeling about how it is that you're supposed to engage yeah which runs counter to the old journal way of it where you you could decide like you yeah. can have the stuff that was locked because you felt like this wasn't actually something that you wanted someone to stumble upon and you could have the stuff that was open because you were like i will display my crazy for whoever wants to see right. or the things that you only like disseminate to a select group of friends right yeah the people who you trusted to actually like understand what you're whatever it is. Right. And, like, you don't have the control. 
Where it's just like fandom link like in sort of a nutshell but like when whenever people are like we want to drag fandom out of like the deep dark corner that they're like engaged in all i can think about is like you know fucking you know hollywood celebrities having a pet project in africa and being like i'm gonna like save these people from themselves where it's like that kind of like unasked for like i'm gonna give you over school exactly like like that kind of thing where you're just sort of like what are you what what are you even we're not even necessarily like we're okay here but we're gonna figure this shit out for ourselves and like in in your you're imposing your like definition of like what's fine and what's not right on like our particular like the way that we operate is completely unnecessary. Well, I mean, and and it's one of those things where, you know, fandom is not a democratic process. If you are, however, going by the assumption that fandom is, as time goes on, becoming more and more, like, mainstream. Yes. Um, I think that is undeniable fact. And if that is, that is undeniable fact, then, like, then you do have to actually sit here and actually think about, well, if people are going to, like, if more people are going to know about us, how are we going to present ourselves to fandom? And like, how do we do that and through which channels? And, like, what can we do about it in terms of, like, not even necessarily, if the fourth wall is coming to us, like, what do we actually say about ourselves? Well, I think that it goes back to, like, the, it goes back to this really problematic issue where, like, in a hypothetical, like, thought experiment situation where this is happening, like, I could easily defend, or not even defend, but explicate fandom in a completely understandable way up to the point where people are fucking. And that doesn't mean, that doesn't necessarily mean, like, slash, it means anything, right? Like, although more for slash. Like, if someone is like, oh my god, you have to explain fandom, I was like, well, people really like this. Like, let's take, right, let's take Star Trek, for example. Like, people really like Star Trek. And people have lots of cool ideas as a result of Star Trek. It's the same way your kids make up stories when they watch things as little, like, as children, you know? And, like, everyone can sort of, like, oh, I wanted to be, like, I wanted to be Tintin on those adventures. You know, it's a completely understandable thing to be like, I like this canon, I want more of it. Right. That is completely fine. I feel like if you have that discussion with someone, they're like, oh, oh that's kind of cool. Right. Boom. But then the problem is we take that one step further, right? We take that to the place where, like, we wanted to write smut. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's, like, we wanted to do sex stuff. Right. And then that becomes sort of, like, iffier because fandom as a whole, for the most part, is a lady space. And right. chicks writing smut is already sort of, like, what? Right. <laughs> and then, like, we take it one step further to, like, non-traditional stuff where it's, like, dudes fucking. And right. Like, or ladies fucking. And it's, like, what? Yeah. Like, how do you have that discussion with, like, that's the part where you lose people. Right, you know? right. Like up to the point where, like, we just really like this. Like, if someone, if someone was like, "Hey, Prue, why do you like you write X Files fanfic?" And I was like, "Yeah, I mean, I just really, really like the X Files and the shows off the air, but I still like, I kind stories. of like imagining myself as like a main character. Like, I like reading about those stories and people write like really cool like Monster of the Week stories. It's kind of neat, right? I don't think that would bother me that much, and I don't well, think that whoever's hearing that is going to be like, "You're a freak." I mean, well, not any more than they do. Anymore. Right. Well, and I mean, even even what you're just describing right there, like that entire process is writing a spec script for exactly. if you want to be a television writer, where exactly. you're literally just writing within yeah. the show that you're writing. It's actually kind of hilarious that outside of fandom, the idea of writing a Mary Sue is actually way more culturally exactly. acceptable than it is within <laughs> fandom itself, um, which is a whole different discussion altogether. Yeah. But I think there is... Yeah, I mean, it does, but, but the thing that's interesting about that, and what we haven't even talked about, possibly because this is a slash report, is is the fact that one of the other big breaking of the fourth walls in the past year the and a half is the Shades of Grey. But, like, 
but the thing about it is that the reason why in some ways, even though we're like, Oh God, it's terrible. And Oh God, it's terrible sex. And that's what offends us so much. And Oh God, it's terrible BDSM sex. And that's what offends us so much that one of the things that actually does make it easier is that it's one of the only het parents that like actually has, you know, like, yeah, like right. And, it, and, and so that alone, you know, it, it, it ends up making the articles that are about, well, it used to be twilight fanfic. And then it turned into this crazy thing that made lots of money. Isn't that great? You know? And, and so like, that's a huge, like smashing of the fourth wall, but it's one that I don't really particularly give a fuck about, you know, and, and that's kind of complicated too, that, you know, it is smut, but because it's heterosexual smut, because it's, it comes from like a fandom that's not really under necessarily like the, the general, like, it's, it's under a different microscope. Like the right. thing is that like Twilight fandom is judged in a very different way than right. our fandoms are. Well, I feel like Twilight works both at a handicap and at an advantage. Yeah, like right. number one, it's an advantage because of fucking everyone is somehow in Twilight fandom. But, like even knows right. that that's about even if like everyone right. sort of knows. And like even if you don't know about the fandom, you sort of know what the fandom is about because right. the fandom is just about Bella and Edward like boning with their sparkles, right? Right. And I don't even know anything about those stories, right? But the the distance, the handicap that they work off of is that like no one is going to think less of Twilight fandom because no one could think less of Twilight fandom, right? right. And that's Twilight fandom is like a fandom, a joke within fandom. Yeah, right. and it's not like, and it's not that's not necessarily nice, but like the fact of the matter is, whenever anybody is like making fun of Fifty Shades of Grey, I was like, oh, that doesn't really affect me because that's like that's those people, those are people over there, right? Yeah, which is mean of me, but at the same time, like that's yeah. your, that's your knee jerk reaction. Yeah, right. All right, well, you know that in 2001, the National Post wrote a four-page spread about Kirk Spock slash, right? With fan art as the, like... I feel like Kirk Spock and, like, I I feel like there's a nerd culture awareness now of slash slash fandom. fandom. Right, but this was 2001. This was, like, 12 years ago. Right. To be fair, like, Kirk Spock is literally the er er-slash fandom. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they are formative. Like, yeah, if he's, he's like, epic of Gilgamesh, like, 40 years, first spot. Right. I mean, the fundamental question sort of is, like, where is the fourth wall going, and, like, how do we react to it? I think that's sort of an interesting question. Case-by-case case basis. That's the only answer. Yeah. 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 Because it's, I, I think that any sort of attempt, whether it's from an outside source or whether it's from within, to, to regulate... Move, to move the goalposts. Right. I, I think I think that... You know, I think that the hive mind is what's going to actually take care of that. And I think that it is a fandom by fandom basis. And then within that fandom, it's a case by case basis. Yeah. I mean, like one of the things I was thinking about actually was that with, within, even within RBF fandoms, right. that a lot of people have both locked accounts on Twitter and unlocked accounts because yeah. they don't actually want to have anything that's related to stuff when they talk about fic, you know, associated with the accounts. Here's my public discourse. Right. Exactly. Right. Like, on this, here is my private Right, or like, or or here is here is the voice that I'm going to add when one of the people that I'm a fan of tweets something that is going to get a lot of people who don't have the same boundaries that I do, yeah. and I want to drown out those about like those yeah. responses with something that's not connected to my AO3, you know, or whatever. Yeah, um, that's yeah. fair. But 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 yeah, I, I think that I think that it's a different fanish culture for each for each sub fandom. And, and you, know, I, you know, what's actually really interesting is that I was um. I was, because uh, I was bored, trolling the Tumblr tag for one of the actors in Les Mis, like, George Blackton. Like, who was, like, you know, he's, like, totally, like, baby, like, minor character in Les Mis, and there's a very, even, like, the Les Mis fandom is pretty small, I would right. say. And, like, 
whatever. And I was just looking at the time of that, and there was already, like, a bit of a wank when people were, like, tweeting, and he's very, actually, like, open with his fans, because he is sort of, like, he's not anybody anymore. Like, he's, not, <laughs> he's, not, he's not famous, you know what I mean? Like, he's just sort of a working actor who's starting out, and, like, he happened to acquire this weird fan culture that I'm pretty sure he was like, oh, interesting. Um, and at the same point, he probably shits him in his character, and, like, he does. does more than anyone else ever will, so, like, he does. Yes. He's, he's writing his own unrequited yeah. UST. Like, and like, in like, 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 no, like, bless his heart. But anyway, so, like, I was on his tag, and there was already, like, wake about some people who were trying, who were tweeting him, and, like, he responded to some questions, someone was like, oh, will you marry me? Like, in the way that, like, you know, like, teenage fangirl culture. 12-year-olds. 12-year-olds, Or, like, even anybody, whatever. Yeah, like, yeah. That's, that's the context of it, like, oh, my God, you're so beautiful, will you marry me? And um, his response was, like, he said something sort of, like, flippant, and then it was, like, his hashtag was, like, sorry, taken. So, later was, like, oh, my God, he's dating somebody wondering who's dating and like then we're sort of trying to like get him to talk about his personal life which clearly he's not going to do and like was not going to talk about it right and then like there was wake happening in his tumblr tag about people being like can we just like he's entitled to a private life like you guys need to stop asking him about this like it doesn't fucking matter who he's dating like he's never gonna get with you anyway and i was like you know what i've seen this argument so many freaking times in like so many different fandoms like rpf and otherwise and it's really interesting how, like, already, like, the lameness, RPF-y kind of, like, whatever, has already started, like, established his context, and it's already starting to be, like, here's what's not okay, don't do it. Right. Like, yeah. and, like, and that's on Tumblr. Like, it's on Tumblr, you know? <laughs> I, I feel like, ultimately, like, we can talk about this forever. It's not that big a deal, because we will, as we have seen in recent cases, self-regulate. Right, right. Like, the system will only endure so much right. before it pushes back. And before you... And have to run out. We wanted to do Rex. RPF Rex is where we decided to go for this one. For for obvious reasons. For obvious, for obvious reasons. reasons. I have two hockey RPF Rex. One is The Way I Fuck Should Be Famous by Sambo Master, which is a Jonathan Taves Patrick Kane story in which uh, it comes out that at one point in his life, Patrick Kane was in a porn, and he won't tell anyone what kind of porn or what it was like or where it is. And obviously, like, everyone spends, everyone on the team, Spends, like, the next year trying to find this shit on, like, Xtube or something and can't. <laughs> and Jonathan Taves finds it by accident because he watches gay porn. And he proceeds to jerk off to it for, like, six months before Kane catches him at it. And then, obviously, they have sex and fall in love at the end. Uh, the other one is called Burning Up For You by Hapa Kitsune, which is Sid Crosby, Gino Malkin. And it's an AU in which uh, Gino keeps accidentally setting his house or someone else's house on fire. And Sid is the fireman who keeps coming to, like, rescue them. <laughs> okay, well, I have two. My first one is for the granddaddy of all RPS fandom, actor RPS fandoms, which is, like, the greatest and worst RPS fandom of all time, J2. <laughs> Represent. Like, let's yep. be honest, my favorite thing about J2 is that it was sort of, like, everyone's gateway RPF drug. And yep. I, like, it literally had nothing to do with, like, real life whatsoever. It was so just, like, it was so irrelevant. Hot just people, bar like, your faces. Boom. Bar your faces. You're a Barbie doll. Let's do it. Um, So this one is by Rifki T, and it's called Full Service Firm. It's one of my favorite stories ever because I feel like real life should work this way, where Jensen is an associate at a Texas law firm and gets dumped by his boyfriend because he works all the time, and in his anger, shows up a club, tweaked out, gets picked up by Jared, who thinks he's a prostitute, (laughs) 
realize it until the next morning yeah. when he wakes up and there's money on the bedside table and a phone number. It's pretty awesome. And it's great. And he's like, the sex is so good that I want to ruin it by telling him facts. So, like, he continues to play the role of his hooker every time Jared is in town, which is fine, except he realizes that the guy he's billing billions of hours to is Jared, eventually. <laughs> na, 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 na. <laughs> Fantastic story. Choice smut. Everyone should apply. Um, my second recommendation is for, like, the total opposite in terms of dirtiness, which is a story by Jayhawk called The Giraffe Notes. Um, it's a... Jesse Eisenberg, Andrew Garfield's um, RPS story. And it is one of like the most ridiculously sweet things I've ever read. And it starts as a high school AU where Jesse is like a super, super quiet recluse loser who has a crush on the weird English transfer student who gets bullied all the time. But because Jesse has like no, like he doesn't really have any social currency of his own. The only way he can sort of help Andrew in any context is he writes these notes which are basically like he does a little picture of a giraffe and he does a little picture of a mouse. And he's like, you know what? Don't let those bitches get you down. Well, only in Jesse, like sweet language from high school. It's like, don't let, <laughs> elevated. Yeah, don't let those assholes get you down. Like giraffes are wonderful. And then the story skips ahead 10 years to when they're grownups. And in Andrew Garfield's Oscar acceptance speech, he says, you know, this will only make sense to one person in the world, but whoever left me those notes is a teenager. Like, you made all the difference in the world to me. And it is, like, a ridiculous, beautiful, rolling around in joy puppies, like, experience of a story, and I find it delight. So I have three, if that's cool. Okay. Um, the first is is also Hockey RPF. It's, it's probably my favorite um, in the entire <laughs> fandom. It's Sid Gino. Um, and it is Morning to Wake You by Of Lights. Um, and it's, the subtitle is The Sexual Misadventures of Sidney Crosby and this fucking, like, yes. fabulous kids. Sorry, I love that story. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That story. Yeah, right. that story. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, and it's basically about Sid figuring out how to be gay in the yeah, NHL. Yeah. And, like, it's got, it, it's definitely got a little bit of the sort of, um, you know, all of the penguins are, like, way cool with him being gay in a way that's, like, very, like, wish fulfillment fantasy-like for me, but I'm down with it. Like, it, it, it works within the context of the fic. Like, I'm totally, like, I, I just, I buy into it completely because it actually to me, examines what it would be like if you were actually who Sidney Crosby is in reality and were gay and, like, had to deal with this shit. And also, the, like, the POV voice is so fantastic and, like, how it is that he reacts to sex and how it is that he reacts to falling in love and then falling out of love really quickly is phenomenal. And I also love him and Gino a lot and I love, I love the two of them being total fucking weirdos in the middle of the locking of the locker room together and it just makes me really happy um so so there's that um the second is uh a it is a one direction nick grimshaw fic that is um from this past week if this is love by sunset mog why i wanted to wreck it this week in particular is because i think it actually does a really brilliant job of examining what it would be like to be in a real life couple in a fandom that has such an active rpf around it and it, it examines what that fourth wall would look like and is also just really fantastic and the build of the story is great and but yeah it's just it's 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 also got like a fucking fantastic weirdo pov voice from nick 
and is just, it makes me so fucking happy. The second, or the, rather the third fic that I'm recommending is an oldie but a goodie, which is Take the Sinking, Take This Sinking Boat by Eleanor Lavish, which is classic um, American Idol RPF, Kratom. Um, and the reason why I'm recommending it is just because it has such a place in my heart because it's one of the first like future fix of where they would go and like what would happen in the future for the two of them. And it does sort of address what it would, what it would really have been entailed for Chris Allen to have come out. And also for the two of them to have gotten together post-divorce and handles that really sensitively and brilliantly. And yeah, it's just like, it's a classic for a reason and it deserves a reread. Okay. Um, I have two, one, my first one is, um, my absolute favorite, um, Chris Pine, Zachary Quinto, yes. yes. which now that Star Trek and Darkness is coming, seems appropriate, which is, um, The Passions That Sings by Jerk Horrific, which if you haven't, if you haven't read it, read it. If you've already read it, read it again. Yep. It's still funny as hell. Very important. Um, it, it may, it, it's basically one of the funniest, most utterly delightful pieces of fic that I've ever read, <laughs> ever. And, like, it doesn't even matter if you like them or care about them. Like, everyone in that story, not even just Zach and Chris, but all the, uh, the, the Trek cast ensemble are so hilarious and so well-drawn. And um, it actually has this really sort of interesting, like, literary meta thread that goes through it. It almost, like, elevates it beyond, like, your average or whatever. Um, but even so, it's just, it's funny and perfect. And it also um, contains some of the most important lines. That's not how blowjobs work, Walter. Um, which, if you don't know what that means, read it and you'll get it. And completely right. Well, women, you're an asshole. <laughs> um, and then my my other one um, is a fake by Rainy Days called Open Do Wide Up, which is a fandom fake, which is specifically Panic and Brendan Spencer, um, which I think is sort of appropriate for like the discussion we just had because um, it basically sort of um, it, again it has like a, a very much fourth wall awareness where the premise of it is essentially that like Brendan and Spencer who are sort of aware of the fact that they have this fan culture that's invested in them, like boating like you know and sick um start sort of like trolling them and playing gay chicken and like interviews and things in terms of like who can like mess with like these people the most oh my god do they accept to themselves they do yes. and then there's a point where like it becomes real um and it manages to do it in like rainy days she's extremely deft about this stuff and um she has very like the perfect like touch for this so it never becomes very heavy-handed but like so it becomes sort of like the fandom like meta commentary but you never really lose sight of like them and their relationship and like and it's just all very satisfying and like well done it, it's one of the only fandom fix that has the sort of fourth wall breaking where like the fans the make them do it of, like you know right yeah. but like, and it works and it's like it's, it's basically like i'm sure it reads really nicely i'm sure it was sort of like this weird magical like tightrope walking hat trick of like actually being able to do that successfully right um but perfect yeah um Yes. Well, this has been fun. Editing this is going to be hell. Yes. So <laughs> thank you guys for coming on and talking yeah, to us about thank the fourth you for wall. Us. It was fun. It was fun. I don't think we came to any conclusions. No. no. Well, I mean, you know, we'll see where it goes. Indeed. Indeed. Right. Alrighty, guys. Thank you for tuning in. We will catch you on the flip side. Bye. Bye. Bye.
do us a favor of wearing a tit sling, but whatever. Um, <laughs> oh, what? Are you guys having like a like, oh, oh, my throat. Jesus, fuck you. I hate you. Oh my god. You're the worst. Hey. What are you doing? I don't fucking want to. <laughs> I was gonna ask you a question. I was carrying Sherlock and she like leapt out of my arms by throat kicking me. 